The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. It's time for everyone's favorite topics, taxes and interpreting SEC regulations. Wait, no, it'll be fun. I promise. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I've I've apparently taken this over because I'm running right in from the intro. Um, but uh, but we're here here with Alex and Wade as my guests this week uh, to talk about tax loss harvesting. Um, so, guys, if you want to introduce yourselves... Sure. Hi, I'm Bob Fraser. We got the the Don Pardo of Retire with Style is here on hosting duty today. <laughs> he has the voice of Johnny Mathis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that being said, <laughs> I'm guessing after last week we better get to the point real real quick this week. <laughs> <laughs> We're losing subscribers by the second. My inbox, my <laughs> inbox is out of control, Wade. <laughs> but, uh, yes. And this is how we end up doing those 10-minute intros. <laughs> <laughs> but to make sure that yeah, everyone's clear, this week we're going to be talking about tax loss harvesting, which in a year like 2022 has a lot of practical application. And, and so it's very fortunate for us to have Bob join us to be able to walk us through some of the issues uh, just on an ongoing basis. And then also I can bring into that conversation as well, just with retirement and how tax gain harvesting can potentially uh, play a bigger role in retirement at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot to cover this week. Do you have any other yeah. uh, small chat, small talk there, Alex, before we get started? Don't 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 tempt me, Wade. And by the way, when you said that, you know, there probably some percentage of our viewers are rolling their eyes like, oh my god, here we go. Let's do the fast thirty, fast thirty, fast thirty. Yeah. That's an important button. I got I got nothing. Practice. Oh, I got one. So Wade, what are you what are your kids gonna be for Halloween? Any thoughts? Uh yes, I've got a Pokemon in the household and uh ketchup. I guess there ketchup, was some kind okay. of outtake from Stranger Things where they said, hello, I'm ketchup and I'm mustard. And so her two friends are going to dress up as ketchup and mustard. Really? I, I would also point out this is going to be going out like more than a week after Halloween. Here. <laughs> that is true. So. <laughs> okay, so we're so no longer Bob, evergreen. <laughs> so, so, Bob, what's, what's your favorite Halloween candy? And tell us all about candy corn and how much you hate it. <laughs> I don't. I like candy corn, believe it or not. By, this, go by the day this comes first. out on election day, you may be tired of candy corn. Oh, really? Okay, and I got I got one more, Bob. <laughs> this is for post Halloween. I'm not the one egging you on here, Alex. This is Wade's doing. Why 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 don't vampires eat ghosts? I don't know. Wade. Uh, they have boo instead of blood. I don't know. Because it tastes like sheet. <laughs> 
Oh, we're going to have to put an E on our podcast for this week. (laughs) No, no, no. It works. It works. It works, Wade. All right. Cover the children's ears. (laughs) Is is that? I think they'll be listening to a podcast on tax loss harvesting. But uh, but yeah, let's let's actually dive in and yeah, see if yeah. we can't keep it under four minutes before we we jump into it. Um, this is a full but, service podcast. That's right. Um, but yeah, obviously, as Wade said, twenty twenty two has been a less than awesome year in the markets, um, and you know with that comes a lot of stuff. But one of the things that that pops up a lot, or uh, that we at least we hear about a lot, is tax loss harvesting. You know, is this something you should be doing? What is it? Uh, you know, does it make sense for me? All all of the questions. So we want to take a little bit of time and walk through, well, what is tax loss harvesting? You know, how do you do it? Does it make sense? Um, you know, and as Wade alluded to, there's the flip side of the, the coin, the tax gain harvesting. Um, and how do we, we approach all that type of stuff? You know, basically, how do we manipulate our capital gains taxes, um, and does it make sense to go down that road? So, Alex, uh, do you want to? Well, just uh, before to start that, just because uh, I'm thinking like most common denominator here, listeners, tax loss harvesting, Bob, that's for losers. Uh, we should focus on gains. <laughs> no, I mean uh, I've heard yeah. like advisors even say this, like tax loss harvesting. That's un-American, you know, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Like you're all of a sudden recognizing losses. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. You know, that, that, that kind of silliness. Yeah. What's, what's your take on this? And where I'm going with this is just dispersion of individual stocks right. and so not just mutual fund asset classes, but even, you know, normal dispersions. And you'd be silly Absolutely. not to capture them. But I, I'll let you no, just start off like For background too, Bob, is the very basic background. Uh, I think it's probably also worth defining the idea of cost basis and what that yeah. means and how that's relevant um, to this. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll try and keep the discussion of investment taxes relatively high level, but I think we do need to talk about cost basis here, unfortunately. And okay, so you I have think, two points. We'll just sit back and listen. Go on. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we'll start off by by officially calling out. None of us are CPAs here. Uh, none of us are, are handling your tax situation. So talk to your tax professional. Um, but, you know, the idea with tax loss harvesting, one, it's definitely something that a lot of people can use. Um, you know, we'll talk about the provisos around that can statement in a little bit. But markets bounce up and down. Um, they're moving all over the place. And even in good years, there are going to be certain asset classes and certainly certain stocks that are going to go down. And, you know, depending on the specifics of your situation, you might be able to harvest those losses and reduce your taxes in the current year. Now, we'll talk about, you know, some of the things going on in that statement. But they're absolutely, you know, to the extent that we can reduce taxes that's a good thing. Um, you know, we want to pay as little to the government as we possibly can, as we realistically can, while still maintaining our asset allocation. We want the highest after-tax return and after-tax wealth specifically that we can possibly get because we're we're doing this for a reason. It's not just we want big numbers on our statement. We want to be able to spend this money. 
And that's really the goal with tax loss harvesting, to manage our taxes through time. So let's touch a little bit on cost basis and investment taxes and kind of set the stage here for, for what we're talking about with tax loss harvesting. So there's really, well, a couple of things. First off, there's three different types of investment accounts, or basically three different types of investment accounts. There's your taxable money, your tax deferred money, and your tax exempt money. Your tax deferred and tax exempt, you also hear those uh, tax advantaged, but it's your IRA, it's your 401k, 403b, all of the kind of accounts with letters and numbers associated with them. Tax deferred means that generally you're going to be able to write that money off on your current year's taxes, and then you're going to pay uh, basically income tax when you pull that money out in retirement or whenever the case might be. Tax-exempt accounts, you're putting in after-tax money, so you don't get that tax write-off. This is your Roth accounts. Um, but you're done paying taxes. You're, you're just done. Um, that money is yours, free and clear. You don't pay taxes on it while it's invested. You don't pay taxes on it when you pull it out to spend it. Your taxable accounts are the ones we're going to be talking about here. These are the ones where you're paying taxes on everything that happens as it happens. This is your brokerage account, basically. Um, so within this account, there's basically, uh, I'm going to be saying basically a lot this episode, so sorry. Uh, but there's basically two types of it, or two big categories of investment taxes that I, I think is a fair way of phrasing this. So there is your, you know, well, income tax, so dividends, you know, other forms of distributions and stuff like that, interest income, um, where your it just goes into your your income and you pay whatever your income tax is. There's also capital gains. Um, you know, these are, you know, basically the gains you've made from selling an asset or an asset being sold in your name in the case of mutual funds or ETFs or things like that. That's the, the stuff we're going to be really talking about with tax loss harvesting by and large. There's one exception. Now, what Wade was getting at with his statement about cost basis is how those capital gains taxes are figured out. So let's say I own, I don't know, $100 worth of Ford just to pick a random company. And I go and sell that $100 of Ford stock. Um, my capital, what I'm paying taxed on is not going to be the $100. It's not going to be the amount of money I got from selling that stock. It's going to be the amount of money I got from selling that stock minus how much I paid for it. So if I paid $80 when I bought that Ford stock, my capital gain is going to be that $20. So the $100 I sold it for minus the $80 I bought it for. My gain, my profit um, is going to be that $20. And then I'm going to be taxed at whatever my capital gains rate is on that $20. Now, one of the really important things here is that um, if I've held that stock for more than a year, it's considered a long-term capital gain. And that long-term capital gain for most people is going to be a lot lower than their income tax rate. I'm taxed at a lower rate on those capital gains than I am on the things that 
are in that that income bucket again like most dividends um interest income you know returns of capital all sorts of fun stuff when we start going down that rabbit hole but that's really what way is getting at with cost basis it's how much you paid for something now i think wait correct me if i'm wrong i think that's as much accounting as we actually need to go into to get into the the statement or get into the discussion here but that idea of cost basis is really really crucial when we start talking about basically manipulating cost basis here. Alex, you look <laughs> like you're about to say something there. No. So just to even drive home the beginning point, like if, if you're invest, think about the S&P 500, just, just to go back to the statement that the, they're always going to be losses, especially if you have a lot of individual mm-hmm. securities. If you, you know, think about the S&P 500, 500 stocks. The S&P 500 is up 10% that year. Not every stock is up 10%. Yep. You know, there's a dispersion around that number and a, a handful. In fact, disproportionately, I would say a lot more of them are down than up, you know, because it's usually the winners that kind of carry the day, if you will. So there's always opportunities, especially with individual securities. You have a diversified portfolio with, let's say, 10 or 12 asset classes. Invariably, you're going to have an opportunity along the way. And we're doing this right now because this year. You know, we wanted to give people some time because it's, you know, you, there, there are more months to begin to, you still have a few months left to develop a, a tax plan around it. But, uh, you know, unless you're extremely lucky, you're going to have significant opportunities to harvest losses this year. That, yep. that, that's the, And it's, it's, it has nothing to do with investment acumen. It's just, you know, as an investor, your role is to, to capture stock market returns. Yep. And some years, you know, it's a negative return. All right. Absolutely. Um, And that works both ways. Um, You know, even during really bad years, you know, there's going to be some stocks that do really well. You know, back in 2008, when the market as a whole was down, what was it, 44 percent? You know, I mean, it was there were companies that that was an awesome year for them, Uh, you know, during the, the height of the pandemic. You know, Zoom and Peloton and, you know, all of those companies, everyone else is, you know, their stock crashed, they did really well. Um, you know, there's always going to be examples. And, you know, during good years, there's going to be stocks that do really poorly, as Alex said. So getting back to the idea of tax loss harvesting, you know, what we're really doing is, well, we're harvesting those losses. We're harvesting those situations where a stock has dropped below what your cost basis is. Now, I, I put that in there specifically in that way, because it's not just if a stock has gone down over the past week or month or something, it has to have gone down relative to where you bought it. So you're losing money on it. You lose money on it. Exactly. So if you bought AT&T back in 1960, you know, one bad quarter, uh, you know, you're probably not going to have a tax loss on that. There's probably nothing to be doing there. Um, You know, but the stock has gone down a little bit more significantly, there might potentially be something. Um, and, you know, if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, you know, you can start looking at tax lots and, you know, manipulating that and figuring out exactly which shares you want to sell, um, you know, to really, really dive into it. But I think that's probably going to be overkill for a lot of people. 
But well, you know what I really wanted to get into. It. I'll be. I thought you have to sell by tax lots to be able to. Well, <laughs> you know, most people you, have it set up or have it set up for them. I think is a better way of phrasing it as average cost basis trading. Um, you know, so you can see, you know, if you have your account statement and it says, you know, the Vanguard S and P five hundred fund, your cost basis is X. Um, you know, that's going to be the average cost basis. Um, so, you know, for most people in most accounts that, you know, if you go and make a trade, they'll be trading at at least at the mutual fund level. Um, you know, they'll be trading at your average cost basis. Yeah, we can get into LIFO and FIFO some other time. Yeah. <laughs> and maintaining um, it once it starts. Yeah, but, you no, know, for we, the purposes we of actually, this, it's... We, as in retirement researcher, will be having something coming out shortly, uh, you know, much more in-depth on tax loss harvesting uh, and really tax-efficient investing in general. But there's a, obviously a good chunk on tax loss harvesting in there. And we do get into all those different strategies and, and things like that. But I think all we right, can so kind of keep it a little higher level than that here. So then, Bob, okay, you're, you're reassessing your portfolio. You've given up faith. That that Peloton you bought Peloton in January, you've given them faith that it's going to come back all of a sudden because of their new rowing machine, right? So uh, you're down whatever you bought it for a hundred dollars, it's twenty dollars. You're down eighty dollars. Yep. What can you do to to turn that into lemonade? Yeah. So you know, and and that is a, a really important point. This is very much kind of a silver lining type of strategy. You would prefer not to take the loss overall, but. Since we have it, might as well do something with it. So the mechanics are, are pretty straightforward. Um, you know, we'll get into something called the wash sale in a little bit, uh, which is always the difficult piece here. But you know, you sell, you know, Peloton, you you know, and uh, you take the money, and you know, you can do what you want with it at that point. Again, per the wash sale, um, and then with that eighty dollar loss, you now get to reduce all of your other capital gains for the year. Um, and that's a really important point because your capital gains on your taxes every year are netted. You know, it's all added together and it's just saying, here's how much you made or lost uh, in terms of, you know, capital sales, basically. Now, one of the really, really interesting things here is that if you have more losses than gains, if you have a capital loss overall for the year, you actually are able, again, this is very kind of situation specific, but in a lot of cases, you're actually able to write off a certain amount on your income taxes. For most people who are married filing jointly, you know, it's $3,000 per year or in a year, I should say. Um, and, you know, remember what we said earlier about uh, income taxes being higher than capital gain taxes. That's worth a lot. Um, you know, that's a that's a good chunk of change that you're able to do that just by harvesting those losses. Now, um, you may want to be clear, offset versus deduct. What's the difference? So it's uh, a straight reduction. Um, so, you know, if I'm just working and I say, you know, let's say I have a thousand dollars of other capital gains from just whatever else I'm doing in my portfolio in the year um, or whatever distributions are sent my way or whatever it might be. And I have, and I am able to harvest a hundred dollars of losses. Well, now my capital gain overall is $900. Um, you know, I'm going to be taxed on that $900 gain 
rather than thousand gain. The same thing on your income taxes. If I'm able to deduct three thousand dollars, if I have you know five thousand dollars of losses, and I'm able to take three thousand dollars of that and apply it to my income tax, well, my income for the year is three thousand dollars less. Um, and then you know, with that other two thousand dollars. I get what's called a capital loss carry forward. Um, and that's just a really fancy way of saying we're going to apply that 2000 or you have the option of applying that $2,000 loss at some point in the future. Um, now, is there a limit on cap gains that you can offset? No, it's, it's purely netted, um, you know, because again, think about it. it at the, you know, at the taxpayer level. You know, it's saying, okay, what were your gains on, you know, sales of assets this year? Well, it doesn't matter how much stuff you're doing. Um, you know, it's just your profit and loss statement, basically. If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. And you are netting the the long term. Did we mention the yes. difference between long term and short term? Probably not as much as we should. Um, so you know, the there are two types of capital gains. There are short term capital gains and long term capital gains. Long term capital gains are gains on things you've held for a year or more. Or actually, wait, you might know this better than I. Is it a year or more or more than a year? So, Right. That's a good question. I, I would always just don't sell on the err to the side of <laughs> wait until 365 days plus one just to be yeah. safe. <laughs> um, I don't know. The because I, that is definitely something that they would get very particular about, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but the the big reason there is this differentiation is short-term capital gains are taxed uh, like income. Long-term capital gains have a lower tax rate applied to them. So, you know, you want to be focusing on making sure that your trades are going to be in the long-term capital gain bucket rather than the short-term capital gain bucket, to the point that I've actually seen financial advisors decide they're going to rebalance every 13 months rather than every year. Just to be so, sure, they never have to worry about it. So, so Bob, I've I've bought the Vanguard S and P five hundred index fund. I'm 13 months into it. I'm down whatever. Let's just say 20. percent I still don't want to be out of the market, though. Yep. What 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 am I to do? So this is where the wash sale rule comes into play, actually. Um, so basically, what the wash sale rule is is with all of this stuff, the IRS wants to make sure that when you do tax loss harvesting, you're actually taking a loss. Um, you're not just taking money from one pocket and moving it to the other and basically resetting your cost basis at a higher level. Um, so you'll pay less taxes in the future, or actually you pay more taxes in the future. Um, so the rule states that if you're going to take a loss on a sale, you can't buy that security 30 days on either side of the sale. So you can't buy it 30 days before or 30 days after 
you sell the security to generate that loss. So there's two things that are really important to unpack there. The first is, who is you? Uh, you know, you is actually a little bit of a slippery term there because uh, it's not just you. It's anyone in your household or any accounts that you have control over. Um, so the, the household piece is, is relatively easy to understand. You know, if your spouse is, you know, buying that same security you're selling, you know, that can trigger the watch sale rule. Or like if you have a business account or something like that. Again, the IRS wants to make sure um, the state tax boards, whichever one, whatever it's called in your particular state, um, they want to be sure that you're actually taking that loss and not just moving it from one account to another. So that's definitely something you want to be paying attention to. Um, and that's actually one way that a lot of people trip up here, um, you know, because this is actually where people get caught up with basically automated purchases. So like say you are automatically saving into your 401k or something like that. If you go out and you know you harvest a loss, you know, let's continue with you know the S&P 500. Um, you know, I have an S&P 500 index fund in my uh, you know my 401k. I have money taken out every paycheck and you know that's part of my allocation so it just gets sent there, you know, every 2 weeks. If I then turn around in my taxable account and sell even a different S&P 500 index fund, we'll talk about this, that part in the minute or two here, I'm likely to trigger, trigger the wash sale rule because I'll sell that, generate my loss of whatever it happens to be. But then, well, one, I've probably already bought it within the past 30 days, but I'll also probably buy it again in the next 30 days. So I would actually not be able to take that. So you really need to have a tight control or at least a tight idea of what's happening in your portfolio at a pretty holistic level. Um, so that's if we're going to be going down this road, you need to have really good clarity on what's and happening. I and I want to make the point, Bob, your example is not you're not detailing an example of two taxable accounts. <laughs> nope. It could be even your spouses. No, but what I mean is you're saying, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. A 401k account could be, you know, automatically buying the S&P, you know, whatever, the SPX. Since you're not actively making that purchase decision, you might not even think about it. Exactly. That is a really, really common way for people to kind of get And it's a different account altogether. Yep. You might not even, I mean, there's a lot of couples that, you know, if they keep their finances separated, you literally might not even know that your spouse is buying, you know, has the S&P 500 in their account. Um, you know, the IRS doesn't care. It's, you know, money under your household. So it's, you're responsible for it. So the other piece there is the substantially identical part, which I didn't call out specifically when I said the, when I gave you the rule. So the rule is not just you can't buy that specific security, but you can't buy anything substantially identical to that security within that 30 day period on either side of the sale. And substantially identical is, it's definitely a term of art. 
Uh, but it's actually an understandable term of art. Um, you know, so getting back to that S&P 500 example that we're using here. So if I want to harvest a loss in an S&P 500 index fund, I can't go out and, well, one, obviously, I can't go out and buy that same S&P 500 index fund. I can't go out from harvesting from the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund. I can't you know, turn around and buy that Vanguard S&P 500 index fund in another account. But I also can't go out and buy another fund that tracks the S&P 500 index fund. Um, you know, that would be substantially identical because there, there are going to be very slight differences in the fund. Um, you know, they're not going to be exactly the same thing, but they're actively trying to be exactly the same thing. Basically, they're trying to be, you know, they're trying to deliver that same risk profile. On the other hand, if I were to go out and buy another large cap index fund, so say Russell 1000 index, that would be fine. Those are different funds. Those are things that are not substantially identical. Uh, if for no other reason, the Russell 1000 has 500 more names uh, in it than the S&P 500. It's, you know, if we take a look at it in terms of market cap, it's going to be a little bit smaller than the S&P 500. It's going to have a slightly different risk profile. It's probably going to fit in that same bucket for your asset allocation, which is really important, as we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, you know, but it's going to keep you on the right side of the wash sale rule. Hey, Bob, and, and something we do practic practically, and, and I'll, I'll bring McLean into this. Yeah. You know, we have asset class selections. You know, these are the funds or the ETFs yep. or what have you that we want within the asset class. We, you want to talk, we, we have the, the, the main ones that we go yeah. for, but we have a bullpen of substitute funds. Because, you know, at around the fourth quarter of the year, we start taking a look at it and we look for opportunities in which if there was an opportunity for tax loss harvesting, yep. we're, we're somewhat agnostic with regards to capturing these factor exposures in, let's say, the Russell 1000 versus the S&P 500. And so you'd be well served to do that within your own portfolio of having like substitute funds Absolutely. at the ready. You want to maybe... Just yeah, absolutely. It's funny you should mention uh, the McLean angle here because last month we had Jason Dye, who is the head of McLean's investment operations department, on uh, within the Academy of our quarterly investment review to to talk about some of this type of stuff and how McLean kind of handles it. Um, but absolutely, McLean has kind of a backup list, and actually for nearly all asset classes, kind of a tertiary list of funds, um, you know, basically the, the top three funds that uh, they like for that, that asset class. And if there's a tax loss harvesting in large value, just to pick a random one, they'll, you know, we can sell the, the fund that is representing that large value asset class where there's a loss and then just turn around and buy whatever is the second best fund in the asset class. And there's now, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say there's, there's a couple of caveats to that. You have to be, you have to feel comfortable enough with that fund because if you buy yes. it, and during the span of a month where you're quote unquote waiting, if it doesn't move, fine. You can, you, you know, it's just a transaction cost if at all. If you want to like get back into it, but if it goes up by ten, fifteen, yep. twenty percent, 
you're going to stay with it, you know, because just, you know, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, no. And and that's actually a really big thing that you need to be thinking about with this. And if we step back for a second, when you do tax loss harvesting, you know, when you get that money in, when you sell the thing with the loss, you have a choice to make. Well, ideally, you've made the choice before you do the transaction, but (laughs) there's a choice to be made there. Um, You know, you can just hold cash and wait out the wash sale rule and then just, you know, on day 31, go back in and and buy the original fund. That means we're sitting out of the market for, you know, however much we sold over that period, Um, which, you know, shoot, uh, once in a while, that's probably a good thing because the market went down uh, during that period. But that's not the way to kind of bet. That's random. That's random. Exactly. Uh, The alternative, obviously, is to, well, put that money to work, to invest that money in that, as we've been talking about, that backup fund or, as the case may be, that tertiary fund if we've been doing a lot of this stuff. (laughs) Um, So, you know, what happens at that point is kind of a binary, well, I guess three possible outcomes. The market can have gone or at least that security can go down, which, as Alex said, you know, obviously we don't want it to go down. Uh, but, you know, in terms of this, our our decision is pretty simple. Will we move to the original fund, which presumably we prefer to the backup fund? Otherwise, it wouldn't have been the backup fund. Uh, it can just stay about the same. You know, neither materially went up or materially went down. Again, same thing. You know, it's very easy to move back into that primary fund or the security could have gone up, you know, and at this point we now have capital gains to deal with. We now have another tax question. And as we discussed earlier, now we're dealing with a short-term capital gain taxed at your income tax rate. So now it's really weird to talk about the market going up being a problem, especially in the context of we're dealing with losses here, but we do have a problem. You know, we're now in a fund that, we've already said is suboptimal, not by much, uh, but it's not as good as our original they, fund. They don't have to be, Bob. Sometimes it's just, honestly, it, yeah, it's... No, well, there's presumably at least some sliver of difference between the two. You would have picked one or... you. There had to be a reason you picked one or the other. It's very rarely a coin flip. But that gets to the point here that I'm going at, that you know you have to decide how aggressive you want to be in getting back to your original fund. You know, if it's a situation like Alex is getting at where there's no meaningful difference, you know, this thing is, um, you know, one basis point, slightly more expensive, or I don't know, you like the the color on the account statements a little bit better. That's a meaningful difference. Thank you for bringing that up. (laughs) I know that's how you make decisions about your portfolio, Alex. Um, you know, then you're not going to be willing to pay all that much to move back into the original fund. If it's a big deal, if there's a lot going on there, um, you know, there is a real reason why you picked the original fund over the backup fund. Well, you might be willing to pay a little bit more. Um, you know, you might be a little bit more aggressive in moving back to your original fund. And there's a couple ways that you this might happen. You know, there's definitely situations where, you know, it's relatively easy to kind of get trapped in your backup fund. 
you know, if you get a really big market move during that month, which happens, um, you know, you may have to wait until wait for a year, you know, wait until that's a long term capital gain again, um, you know, to be able to get back to that original fund. You may just bite the bullet and say, well, you know, it's a big enough difference. There's a big enough expected return difference between these two funds that I'm willing to pay, you know, whatever this short term capital gain is. It's really going to come down to the specifics of the difference between the funds and also what the tax is going to be, how much you would actually owe on the trade. Curious if you should be looking at a Roth conversion or what a Roth conversion even is? Head over to McLeanAM.com slash Roth to get McLean's free ebook. Is a Roth conversion right for you? And learn about when you might want to do a Roth conversion and when you might not. Just head over to McLeanAM.com slash Roth to download your free ebook today. No, not Bob. Something that we, a reoccurring theme in our podcast about like the dynamic distribution strategies and all of this stuff was sometimes this level of, sometimes a level of specificity is is just not worth the calories. Yes. Uh, And so there could be a subset of our audience that's thinking, you know what, this is, this is, this is crazy talk. I'm not going to do all of this. I'm going to stick to my preferred investment because that will net out, you know, better. Yep. Uh, and your thoughts, I have thoughts obviously on that. I'm sure Wade reasonable. does, but what do you think? I don't do tax loss harvesting in my own portfolio. Um, it, I don't think it's worth for myself. I don't think it's worth the, the tax benefit. Um, you know, I just, I, I don't want to spend that much time looking at it. There's a lot of, a lot of kind of fiddling with stuff that you got to start doing when you, you do tax loss harvesting. It makes sense for a lot of people, but not everyone. And you, you know how you feel when your phone charger is at 100%? <laughs> I get the same feeling. Although you said you do this without considering the tax lots. I feel much better about life when I have one tax lot instead of <laughs> tons of tax lots. So I, I took an opportunity in 2020 and again this year to consolidate more or less. Yep. Uh, but that's yeah. because otherwise, yeah, I mean, you make the point maybe there isn't Although we don't want to say there's actionable content today, <laughs> yes. but uh, also you've for retirees you do have the the step up in basis that yep. wipes out if you're harvesting gains against losses. Well, any large gains that you may have get reset with that step up in basis at death. Plus, if you make charitable contributions, low basis stock can just go directly to your donor advised fund or to a charity. And then you don't have to worry about paying the capital gains taxes on that either. You don't necessarily have yep. to offset all that with gains I, or, or losses no, from absolutely. other shares. And, and I'm glad you called out the charitable contribution piece. We are getting towards the end of the year. So that's something that you know people are going to start looking at. Definitely look at contributing low basis stock or just holdings to I, charity. That's a really good way to manage your taxes. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of financial planning thing. And look, it, it just depends on your temperament. Obviously, Bob has his. I, I'm kind of along with Wade. I, I actually take advantage of tax loss harvesting. You know, when it, when it presents itself, I have no issues with that. And I, and I think there are a lot of uh, financial planning benefits that come along with it. Such as uh, we're thinking about gains from stocks, but you can offset gains from a sale yeah. of a property, a sale of a business. If you know that in five years you have a, a, an upcoming gain, you can start you can start harvesting losses specifically for the offset purposes. 
which which I think can be huge, especially mm-hmm. when you when you're talking nominal amounts. I mean, there we're not going to talk about it today, but you know you can do direct indexing strategies where you're you know you're effectively mimicking the returns of the S and P five hundred with let's say one hundred and fifty stocks, in which the, there will be losses along the way. But that 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 gets complicated over time. Yeah. I don't want to get into that right now. You're just talking about straight up losses. But uh, I, I do agree to the degree I, I, I simplify it from the the tax law standpoint, you know, per wage comment. But when it's there, I, I take them and and they're actually quite quite valuable f- for myself. Yep. So no, you know, it's the, very much going to be a question of how much you know. If you're looking at an event driven strategy, you know that's one thing. Um, you know, if you're looking at saying you know, shoot, the market's been down. Let's go take a look. And that's one thing. Um, you know, there's also you can be looking at this as a regular part of just your portfolio management strategy. When you go in to rebalance your portfolio, you can also go in every year and look to see, you know, are, is there something I can harvest? Is there some losses that I can be looking at? But, you know, one of the things you want to be thinking about is, you know, as Alex said, is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, if you do this tax loss harvesting trade, you know, are you actually going to come out ahead when you think about everything, you know, depending on your account? You know, you've got potential trading costs. Um, you've got yeah, but potential, that's, you got that's potential gains. <laughs> gains. you got potential, not just potential, you got your time to consider. Um, but what you want to be doing is, you know, really what this is coming down to is you don't want to be looking to try and harvest when, there's a $5 loss. You want to no. be looking to harvest when there's a material loss. And it's up to you to determine what material means in that context. Now, that's the loss. Is there a flip side to this, Wade? I know you had an idea yeah. on the yeah, other I one. Mean, Maybe it's a good time to transition. Since this is retire with style, we can't forget about And I don't know if this is the correct technical name, but I just tend to call it capital gains harvesting. I prefer tax gain harvesting here, Wade. Yeah, tax so. gains harvesting. <laughs> and this just speaks to something retirees may look at. And also, just to be clear about this point, there's no wash sale rule if you're harvesting gains. You can yeah. realize the gain and then immediately repurchase the same yeah, asset. The, the as IRS long as you're not trying to offset to losses. Take your money. <laughs> why would you do yeah. that? Uh, the, the reason why you might do that, just Suppose you're retired and you do have to look at all these other uh, implications. So suppose you're in your 60s, you're not yet claiming Social Security. Uh, you also maybe you're not getting you if you're on Medicare, you're not using the Affordable Care Act. So you're not worried about subsidies for your health insurance necessarily. If you don't have any income, you have a lot of capacity where if, in 2023 for those married filing jointly, they have a zero percent tax bracket on qualified dividends and long-term capital gains up to $89,250. And if you add the standard deduction on top of that for married filing jointly, you're getting close to almost $120,000 where you could just realize $120,000 worth of long-term capital gains and still be at the 0% tax bracket. So you're paying taxes, but at a 0% rate. And that's giving you an opportunity to effectively reset the cost basis of your account at a higher level. And so so alongside Roth conversions. Resetting, what does that mean? Resetting the account at a higher level. It's like by by selling and then immediately repurchasing, my cost basis is now that $120,000 than it was before. So that later in retirement, 
if I need to sell some shares to fund expenses, I would have less, be realizing less capital gains at that time because I now have that higher cost basis. And later in retirement, your tax bracket, now that you're getting Social Security and all of that, will be higher. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where you're now getting Social Security. You now may be hit by required minimum distributions. Uh, you could, it's this long term capital gains stacks on top of other ordinary income. And you could be getting into situations where <laughs> the Social Security benefits or the uh, the required minimum distributions are now pushing some of your long-term gains from the 0% rate to the 15% rate. And by just realizing those gains back when you were able to do so in a 0% rate, you're saving yourself on the taxes over the long term. Yeah. And I would also say that, um, you know, if you're in that situation, you'll also want to be looking at Roth conversions, um, another topic that comes up a lot in those points. And actually, I believe, McLean, um, you know, has uh, some resources. Uh, I won't put them in the uh, show notes again, but some resources on figuring out whether a Roth conversion uh, works for you in your situation or not. But mm-hmm. yeah, tax gain harvesting is absolutely something that you know, especially in those periods where you have a lower income uh, or a relatively low income where you're in a lower tax bracket than you quote unquote normally would be, uh, where you definitely want to take a look at it and see if you can't take advantage of it. It's really powerful. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't get as much attention because there may be fewer opportunities. There's a a very wide range where you're paying 15% on long-term capital gains. And if your incomes are at those levels where that's an issue, there may not be much you can do. Also, once social security begins, you might trigger long-term capital gains thinking that you're in the 0% bracket, but that could cause you to be hit by that Social Security tax torpedo where you're paying taxes on a bigger percentage of your Social Security benefits, and therefore you weren't truly in the 0% <laughs> marginal tax bracket on those long-term capital gains. So there may be fewer opportunities to benefit from this, but when it's there, it's always great to pay taxes yep. at a 0% marginal tax rate. So That's a great point. Good to take advantage of that. Bob, would you do that or will you pass on that as well? I, I would. I, I, unfortunately, well, no, fortunately, I am uh, not. Good to in be Bob, Wade. Good to be Bob. <laughs> uh, fortunately, I am not in that situation. Um, I am still in my in my earning years. Um, so unless you're trying to say something here, Alex, uh, I, I don't think I'll have any opportunities for tax gain harvesting anytime soon. So, Bob, if you if you see a twenty dollar bill on the floor, do you pick it up? I do, but they don't exist. <laughs> you must so. not be an economist. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, because it wouldn't be there if it was real. <laughs> All righty, what do you think? Yeah, I think we we covered the topic pretty well. And yeah, yeah. So go on. Well, I mean, it, this, I think there's actionable content here, especially in 2022. A lot of people may uh, be able to benefit from doing some analysis along these lines and finding potential opportunities to to well, reset the cost basis at a higher level, which can yeah. help over the long term. Listen, the only thing I, is, I don't listen to end, Bob. I think and... we're, we're <laughs> legally required to, to say the line, you, you don't let the tax ta- tax tail wag the investment dog. I think that's required mm-hmm. to be in every 
everything talking about tax loss harvesting. Um, and it's an important point that, you know, it's easy to kind of screw up your portfolio if you get too aggressive with the tax loss harvesting and move away from your asset allocation. So it's really important to keep in mind that all of the tax optimization we're doing here is, you know, is not a small thing, but it's not as big as making sure you stick with your asset allocation, making sure you stick your portfolio where it's supposed to be and taking the right levels of risk. I agree. Right. I agree with that. And just make sure too that wash sale rule is really complicated. So if you've never yep. really looked much into this before, uh, study up on the wash sale rule and make sure you really understand it before you start making transactions. Because if you have to unwind things, that gets complicated yep. as well. And uh, yeah, you pay the transactions, you pay all the costs, and you end up with the worst cost base as possible anyway. So. Right, right. And if you were trying to offset gains against losses, you still get to pay taxes on all those gains, yep. but there's no losses to offset against those gains. And so it's it may lead to a pretty unfortunate tax situation. Okay. All righty. We're done. <laughs> I don't have any more interjections here. So No, we're good, man. Yeah, very uh, good. Thanks, good. everyone. And we'll catch you next week on Retired right. Style. Great intro, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why so, uh, I just do pre-recorded ones. Yeah, so. <laughs> hey, bye, okay, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.